It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. In a week where Donald Trump swept five Republican primaries in the Northeast, I consider myself the presumptive nominee, absolutely. Hillary Clinton more or less secured the Democratic nomination. With your help, we're going to come back to Philadelphia for the Democratic National Convention. And Ted Cruz picked a running mate. We must take our country back. Welcome to the FT's U.S. Election Countdown podcast. I'm Dimitri Sevastopilo. And I'm Courtney Weaver. From now until Election Day November, we'll be bringing you a weekly podcast from Washington on the campaign trail right here on the FT Politics channel. We hope to give you some insight into the candidates and their campaigns and to explain some of the wackier things that are happening in what is one of the most interesting elections in years. So to kick off this week, we're coming to you from Washington, D.C., where we're just wrapping up a big week. Uh, Five victories for Donald Trump on the Republican side, four for Hillary Clinton on the Democratic. Trump now says he's the presumptive nominee. Is he, Dimitri? Well, I think he's still not technically the presumptive nominee because he still needs to get 1,237 delegates, which is what you need to win the first ballot at the convention in Cleveland when the Republican Party picks its nominee. But he's had a really good two weeks. Uh, He won his home state of New York really convincingly. And then in the five states in the Northeast, which is Pennsylvania, Maryland, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Delaware, he swept the board, and his smallest margin of victory was twenty-one. Excuse me, twenty-nine points. So people who said that Donald Trump couldn't unify the uh, Republican Party base are now starting to change their mind. Um, but we still have Indiana next week, and we have to see what happens in California on June seventh, which is the biggest delegate prize of the primary season. Before we're going to know whether he's really locked it up for good. And we've had a big week, too, with Cruz and Kasich. Uh, They formed an alliance on Sunday night announcing that uh, Cruz would take on Trump in Indiana, uh, whereas Kasich would take on two states in the Northwest, New Mexico and Oregon, uh, to try to divvy up the anti-Trump vote. Uh, Is this pact really working? It seems like there's already some doubts that it even exists. You know, Kasich has, has, you know, really called it into question already. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, on Sunday night, both of the campaigns put out statements saying that they would each focus on certain states and they would leave the other states to the the other candidate. And yesterday, both Cruz and Kasich were saying, no, it was never really a deal. People have read too much into it. Uh, I think basically it was a kind of a desperate ploy to try and get as many delegates as they can so that when you get down to the convention in Cleveland, if it's a matter of two or three delegates in the balance, that could make all the difference. But it looks like it's fallen apart and uh, it hasn't been a great week for either of them. And as you know, Courtney, uh, yesterday, John Boehner, the former Speaker of the House of Representatives, a Republican who was basically ousted by the same Tea Party members who support Ted Cruz, uh, he told a university audience at Stanford that Cruz was Lucifer in the flesh. So uh, (laughs) not a great week for Ted Cruz. And um, we'll have to see what happens over the next few days. But what about the Democratic race? I mean, Hillary seems to have wrapped things up. Is that what we should conclude from this week? Yeah, I think everyone has basically concluded that, even Bernie Sanders. 
Uh, you know, he's been saying for the past couple of weeks, even though, you know, we've been saying that Hillary Clinton has a, had an insurmountable lead in delegates. Um, this week was really the first time he acknowledged that, uh, you know, he probably is not going to win this nomination. Um, uh, this week he laid off hundreds of his staff members. You know, the campaign explained it by saying that, look, you know, we finished these primaries and in so many states already. So we're just really getting rid of staff from those states. But that's not something you do if you're, you're planning a general election run. The main question now is, will he endorse Hillary Clinton or not? Um, you know, Hillary has, started been shifting the narrative. She's in her speeches. She's starting to take on Trump more um, and look ahead towards the general election. Uh, and she's really putting pressure on Bernie now to uh, get behind her and rally his supporters behind her. So should we, should we expect him to drop out before the convention or do you think he's going to be there till uh, the, the final end? No, I mean, he's been saying all along that he plans to stick through the end, even maybe when he didn't expect to do as well in the race as he has done. Um, I think what we're going to be seeing is he's going to start putting pressure on Clinton and her camp to basically come to the left a bit uh, and meet him halfway, whether it's something like, you know, changing and saying that she'll advocate for a $15 federal minimum wage, which is what he's been pushing for this whole campaign, uh, or some other issues like breaking up the banks. Um, I think what he wants is more policy concessions from Clinton versus, you know, an appointment in the in the cabinet. How important do you think it's going to be for her to keep his supporters on side when she faces her Republican opponent in November? I think very. I mean, a lot of there is some worry that people in the Clinton camp are underestimating uh, Trump and as an opponent if he ends up being the Republican nominee. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. these comments that we've had from Trump this week, you know, saying that Clinton is playing the women card and, you know, which obviously angered a lot of women and other and, you know, men as well. Um, I think a lot of people in the Clinton camp assume because, you know, Trump has made so many derogatory statements towards women, towards minorities, that obviously Clinton's going to be able to attract a wider coalition come November. Um, but I think that doesn't really take into account uh, the coalition that Bernie Sanders has been able to attract. You know, he's he's gotten his support from a lot of blue collar, white male uh, voters, uh, also young people as well. And if those people don't actually come out to the polls and vote for Hillary in November, even if they're not voting for Trump, even if they're just staying at home, um, that's going to present a problem for her. I mean, speaking of the the women's card, so we had Ted Cruz did something really unusual. He picked yeah. his prospective running mate um, before the nomination, which I think the last time that happened was, if correct me if I'm wrong, was 1976 when Ronald Reagan did that. Exactly. When he was in a heated battle to try and defeat Ford uh, or to try and get enough delegates to beat Ford at the convention. And ultimately he lost. But uh, what do you think Ted Cruz was trying to do? I mean, I think he's trying to do the same thing. I think, as you mentioned, you know, it, this this deal with uh, Kasich that was announced on Sunday that wasn't really a deal. It really has the whip of desperation. Um, and I think that's, you know, with this announcement with Fiorina, he, he's trying to stay in the spotlight. He's trying to, you know, she's from California. California has a big vote coming up. Um, so I assume he was just trying to attract publicity and trying to hope that, you know, she'll help him garner some votes and also maybe attract some women. I mean, what do you think of his decision to pick her? 
Well, I mean, she she's an interesting decision because, I mean, she was the only woman in the Republican race before she dropped out. Uh, she's not a particularly well-known figure nationally, and she didn't do well when she ran in California herself for the Senate. Uh, and there's a lot of criticism about her tenure at Hewlett-Packard. So she's she's somewhat of a controversial choice, but she has been um, very effective in one way, which is during the Republican debates, she was very good at pushing back at Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump made a famous comment where he said, how could you vote with someone with a face like that? Uh, which um, she came back at him very heavily and very effectively, I think. So I think that's probably part of it. Um, I think Cruz probably also needed to change the narrative. He had a really bad night on Tuesday when he lost those five states really bad. And by doing something clever the next day, he was hoping to uh, change the uh, discussion on the TV channels, on the networks. But then it was kind of turned on him the next day when John Boehner came out with this comment calling him Lucifer. And now today, no one's talking about Carly Fiorina. Everyone's talking about the devil. Um, so it's a, it's a bizarre week. And the other thing that Carly Fiorina did, which was uh, kind of unusual, was after she was introduced by Cruz uh, in Indiana, which votes next Tuesday, uh, she sang a song to his two daughters saying that one of the great things about joining the Cruz campaign was that uh, she could hang out with uh, the two little Cruz girls for a little bit more. Uh, so it's been quite a wacky week on the campaign trail. And uh, that's saying something. Yeah. Although historically, it seems like, you know, there's all this uh, publicity and media attention surrounding the vice presidential picks. But does it really actually matter that much to voters? I mean, are people going to vote for Cruz now that he has Fiorina on his his imaginary ticket? I don't think so. I mean, if you were going to ask people in Indiana what was the big endorsement this week, it was that Donald Trump got uh, the endorsement of Bobby Knight, who's one of the most famous or legendary basketball coaches in uh, in modern American history. So if you were going to pick between Carly Fiorina and Bobby Knight in Indiana, I think most people would want Bobby Knight. So I don't expect that there'll be very much kind of bump for Cruz uh, from this decision right now. As you say, it may give him a little bit more um, wiggle room in California. But we're still a long way between now and then. Um, what about Trump? I mean, Trump was interesting as well. He gave this big foreign policy speech in Washington, which was, uh, on one level, an effort to appease some of the critics in the Republican policy establishment who think that he's dangerously reckless um, and that his policies of isolationism will uh, make the U.S. A, a weaker country in the world and not a stronger country. But he also had some interesting stuff to say about Russia. Now, you were based in Moscow. What did, uh, what did you think of his comments on Russia, and uh, how did they go down in Moscow? I mean, Trump in general is going down very well in Moscow. Um, I think he appeals to two groups of people there. Um, one, he appeals to the ordinary man on the street who who sees a bit of Vladimir Putin and Trump. You know, he's plain speaking. He's a bit crass. He tells it like it is. Uh, and he basically stands up to people like Obama and Hillary Clinton and people, ordinary people in Russia love that because, you know, on TV, all they are told all the time is how terrible Obama is, how terrible Clinton is. Uh, so Trump is right up their alley. And then the second group of people that Trump appeals to uh, is people close to the Kremlin because, uh, you know, it's been a tense couple of years in the U.S.-Russian relationship. Uh, and they think Trump is an embarrassment to the U.S. And they kind of like that uh, Obama and Clinton seem to be getting their comeuppance. Um, I think with Trump's policy, I mean, he's been very different from a most of the other candidates, both on the Democratic side and on the Republican side, because he's really advocating uh, maybe closer ties with Russia and a less antagonistic relationship with Russia, um, while all the other candidates mm -hmm. have gone after Putin for his actions in Ukraine, for Russia's intervention in Syria. Uh, Trump is really the only one who's saying, you know, Russia should be an ally, you know, we should we should tone things down. Uh, 
and he was saying that again on on Thursday in his speech. Who did you think the speech was geared at? Did you think it was geared at, you know, ordinary people, Trump fans who maybe had some doubts about his foreign policy knowledge? Was it geared at think tank people in Washington? You know, it's a really good question. And I don't know the answer. But if if you look at what he said, um, it was definitely a more polished speech than he's given in the past. It was only the second time that he's read from a teleprompter which is interesting because he likes to mock Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama on the campaign trail for doing exactly the same thing. But he did that. Um, the speech was more polished than his normal rhetoric on on China, Russia, ISIS. Uh, he didn't talk about waterboarding, which is one of the things he brings up on the campaign trail. He didn't talk about um, saying that it was a good idea for Japan and South Korea to consider developing nuclear weapons to tackle North Korea. So he, he kept out some of the more controversial things. But basically, if you listen to what he said, it was kind of a repackaged version of his isolationist message with a kind of a veneer added on top to make it more palatable to the, the establishment here in Washington. It, you know, he got some praise from, for example, Bob Corker, who is the Republican chairman of the Foreign Senate Relations Committee. But most people thought it was a slightly incoherent uh, speech that was actually contradictory internally. Um but, you know, that's kind of what Trump is. And out on the campaign trail, uh, I think it'll play very well. I mean, his his message was America first. Um, and, you know, we're going to make America great again, and we're not going to do anything that's not in America's interests. And people like that. I mean, you, you said that he's, in some ways, he's compared to Vladimir Putin. But it, I think you could also compare him to a kind of a combination of Boris Johnson in London, uh, Silvio Berlusconi in Italy, and, and Putin all wrapped into one. I mean, he's this kind of amazing figure who has just kind of transcended everything in American politics. And, you know, we're going to have to see what happens over the next few months, but it's uh, certainly going to be fun. Yeah, exactly. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter. Dimitri's at Dimi Sevastopolo, D-I-M-I-S-E-V-A-S-T-O-P-U-L-O. And I'm at Courtney underscore F-T. You can also sign up for our daily campaign newsletter, White House Countdown, at ft.com forward slash NBE. That stands for News by Email. Again, ft.com forward slash NBE. This podcast was produced and edited by Amy Keane. Thank you for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.